to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, leadership, resilience, COVID, well-being, anything that can help you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. Alternatively, you can find me through alexfullick.com. Longtime listeners and viewers, you will know that I love to read. I've always got multiple books on the go at any given time. Books at the cottage, books all throughout the house. And today, I, have, uh, I want to talk about one book that caught my attention recently. Leading the Unleadable, How to Manage Mavericks, Cynics, Divas, and Other Difficult People. I want to welcome to the show the author of that book, Alan Willett. Alan, welcome to the show. I love all your sticky notes there sticking out. That's great. <laughs> and it's yeah, great to be here. <laughs> so. Well, sometimes people get a little mad at me because I'll hold up a book and they'll see all the dog-eared pages oh. how, can you, how can you do that to a book so uh, i started oh well, i i i like a well-loved book thank you <laughs> so. yeah there's always uh, you know I, ideas and quotes and things that just capture my attention well that's interesting and at some point you know i'll always refer to something that I, i've come across so that's and it also helps me put an agenda together <laughs> as to what we're going to talk about <laughs> now uh, we've exchanged emails, and I know uh, a little bit about you. Can you take a minute or two to talk about yourself and what you do and how you got okay. into what you do? I'll start with how I got into what I do. I grew up on a dairy farm, and uh, what was why that's relevant is because how I grew up was so different than the industry I joined. Um, my dad was dairy farmer of the year, multiple, multiple years. And on the farm, we had computers before anybody else did. He managed everything with data. He knew all, what the cows produced. He knew what every field was, the profit margins, et cetera. When I went into the field of high tech, I was shocked to find out they weren't making decisions with data. <laughs> so sure. so uh, it's been sort of a lifelong quest to really help improve the performance of especially high-tech organizations that are under high pressure. So I've been doing a lot to uh, really help them manage uh, difficult people, difficult situations, and how to inject some rational management and data into the situation. So I started programming when I was like 12 years old, back when it was just paper tape. So I remember I'm glad you do. <laughs> so I had the last key punch card class ever at the, uh, the college I went to. And I've been on the forefront of technology, cutting edge all the time. So I uh, just love life, love the world. Uh, what else would you like to know? I think that covers it. 
<laughs> I think you've covered everything. <laughs> Congratulations on the book, first of all. I know it's been a, a, out for a little bit, but um, I'd only come across it just recently and uh, really enjoyed it. So, so yeah, I don't know where people are. It's it's very interesting. It's nice to see this book has a lot of uh, legs. I guess you would say. Uh, well, I think one of the reasons, because one of the reasons why it caught my attention is what we've been through over the last couple of years. Many people, their attitudes may, may uh, still be the same, but their behaviors are changing. And there's uh, people are heading back into the office now. So leaders have to change the way they're doing. And some people that didn't thrive in the office are thriving now and Others that uh, used to thrive in the office aren't thriving now because they're at home. And I thought, okay, this is everything. The dynamics are so different these days. And then when I saw your book, I went, yeah, that's something I want to talk about because it's definitely not, things aren't what they used to be. And I think a lot of the things that you talk about in your book um, address some of that. You were kind of like ahead of the, uh, the COVID curve, so to speak. Well, um, you know, the people, people things are sort of universal, I have to say. Um, yeah, that's true. You know, when I got started, I thought I was going to actually write programs out of college. But within six months, I was leading a fairly large group. And I said to my manager, I, I'm so busy doing all this leadership stuff. I don't have time to write code. When can I do that? He said, well, it turns out you're pretty good at the people problems. Once you fix all those, you can start writing code. So I've been I'm busy. Gonna, I'm going to guess you haven't been writing code for a long time. <laughs> I haven't been writing code for a long time. <laughs> well, let's jump into some of the stuff that you talk about in your book. So my, my first question, because you talk about it rather early, is um, what are some of the troubles that leaders face? Oh, leaders have a whole taxonomy of trouble. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, for example they're always under schedule pressure. There's always a pressure that they're, people think the leaders are applying, but it comes from, even if you're the CEO, you're under a great pressure. You're in a global marketplace with lots of competitors out there. Even if they're not competing directly, they're competing indirectly. They're competing for mind share as well as market share. They're competing for attention. Uh, they're under pressure. Uh, so even if you're a leader, low down in the organization or don't even know you're a leader, you're under the pressure for doing more faster. The other thing leaders have is the taxonomy of trouble, of course, is uh, I'll go right to the book title. You know, you have your cynics, divas, mavericks, prima donnas, et cetera, that you have to lead. And um, most of us have been those. I've been any one of those before. And uh, just you know, let's get it ahead of maybe, but, you know, to me, all of those people have great attributes. You know, Mavericks want to make things better. It's when they cross a red line and start to step on people's toes, make people mad, are disruptive, that it starts to be disruptive to the team, the organization, and to getting things done. So it's all the way from schedule pressure to all the various people problems. I could do a whole more list of taxonomy, but that's a good start. I, I had a manager in the past who told me, uh, you know, for the most part, I was almost unmanageable because I was kind of a bit of a maverick. I'd go off, but I wouldn't step on anybody's toes or anything. I wouldn't go that far. But 
here, here's what I've done. Here's, here's where I'm going. And before they could blink, yeah, I've already got that done. I'm already on to the next thing. And they're like, Absolutely. I can't even keep no. up with you. <laughs> really, people complain about the unleadable, but often the unleadable are some of their highest potential people. And that's really what the book is about, is about unwrapping the gifts the unleadable bring. That's an interesting an interesting point, because even when you read the, you know, the book title or anyone talks about people that are unleadable, it's seen as a negative right off the bat. Right. It does. And, you know, so many managers I've worked with just, have that negative connotation in their mind. I, I think I would have been happier with unwrapping the gifts of the unleadable. However, my my publisher really liked this other title better. He was probably right. <laughs> but I get to talk about unwrapping the gifts when I get to do on shows like yours. <laughs> oh, great. <laughs> so then uh, you talk about this because we'll, we'll stay with your book because I, I know it, it, we could end up going down that path in the opposite direction, but I want to stay. We can go top. anywhere you like, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> How do you measure a, uh, the success uh, for a leader or of a leader? A lot of times we see, even in media, newspapers, websites, magazines, success is always measured, uh, for the most part, the bottom line. But how sure. do you... How, and that's only one piece, you know, because obviously that is a, a good measure, but it's not the only measure. So how else can we measure the success of a leader? That's a great question. Um, and I did write about this, as you probably know, uh, but let's start with the basics. A good, a good leader is going to uh, make commitments they keep. They're going to deliver high quality stuff. But to me, these, that's a mark of a good leader. And that's actually fairly rare by itself. If you, Think about that. Uh, even hiring your carpenters, how often do they get done by the time they uh, told you when you had your first initial conversation? Uh, so making commitments you can keep is a fairly high bar, and I do think that's important. Making your budget is a fairly high bar if that's important. Making your customers happy is important. But I'm going to go to a, another step, which I would I call it exceptional leadership, which there's an exceptional difference there. And that is, I think those leaders have to be tracking some other metrics as well, which is how often do they transform the troublesome into the tremendous? To me, I think that's a really powerful thing to think about as a leader, because when you have those difficult situations, difficult people, it's really, there's such an opportunity. There's usually a lot of energy there. Um, I love friction points because friction points generate a lot of heat. They can be destructive or you can use them for alchemy, for construction. So I like to see that transformation rate high. Uh, one of the other measures I like to look at is uh, how often the people you coach get promoted. How often they show that they are doing amazing things. And you know that it's some of your feedback, some of your coaching, some of your mentorship has helped them go from here up to a higher level. Mm -hmm. so, and, so these are the uh, measurements of success I really like to look at. The transformation of the troublesome, the uh, seeing your, 
the people you have taught and mentored go higher. And even better yet, when you start to see the way you did it, that they are spreading that goodness as well. You know, I, I read somewhere a long time, you can measure the success of a leader by the success of those around them. Absolutely. Uh, you know, to me, um, I'll put you on to some other reading. Be quick, don't hurry. Uh, it's a book about John Wooden by one of his, uh, John Wooden is a coach for UCLA basketball in the old days. Uh, but he was a bench rider. And it was a great story because you, you look at Coach Wooden, but the way you can judge his success is how many of his people became great people. Not great basketball players, but great people. And how many people they influenced after that. It's just uh, really intriguing looking at that long line of history of the coaching he did. And he never thought his coaching was about basketball. He thought his coaching was always about leadership. It was about people. With leadership, um, often what happens is people, uh, how do I put this politely? They kind of bow down to the leader. If you're a leader, then whatever you say is right. But I think you touched on a point um, by saying that, uh, you know, those conflict points, you can turn them around into something good. So you can disagree with the leader and still be able to take steps forward, not just for yourself, but the leader, Absolutely. the organization as well. Would, would that be kind of correct in saying? Absolutely. Uh, this again gets to the unleadable people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, When people are being disruptive, you got to look behind that. There's a passion there. Um, one of the things I really strongly believe is nobody means harm to the organization. Okay, it's so rare, I discount it. Um, only once or twice out of my entire career have I met somebody that I thought really was out to no good. <laughs> and usually these troublesome people just they have a passion and they believe they're doing the right thing for themselves, the team, the organization. And I think there's a, a twofold part of this. One is uh, what can the leader do about this? And the other is what can you, who's being disruptive, do a little bit different to get your voice across? Which would you like to do first? <gasps> Uh, let, let's look at for me. I'm the disruptive person. What can I change about me to to get my point across rather than just, you know, sometimes flying off the handle in a meeting? Okay. Uh, this is pretty straightforward. It's uh, you really listen to your leader first, but you ask some questions, which is I always say, State back what you think the leader's goals are. You know, uh, I remember I was one of those mavericks, as you know, and I worked for a very powerful uh, micromanager. He treated everybody around him as his fingers, his toes. And I really think he was a great leader. But I remember I was in this one meeting where there was 30 people where he was giving detailed directions to each one. And he said to me, started to list off the things I said, wait a minute. Tony, um, let me let me check. 
I believe these are your goals. This is your goal number one, goal number two, and goal number three. Do I have those goals correct? He goes, about right. He adjusted one of them. I said, I'm going to achieve your goals. You don't need to tell me how to do it. I'm going to get it done. Yeah. <laughs> and and I got this. I understand. And he looked at me, and everybody else was just holding their breath. He <laughs> basically said, don't screw it up. But I didn't. And after that, he never micromanaged me again. Yeah. I had, but it really comes back to as a disruptive person, make sure you're sharing the leader's goals. If you can be articulate about that and say that you care about that and they believe you, you have uh, ability to go forth and conquer. And don't screw it up. <laughs> So now, so now from the leader perspective, who's sitting there and is hearing uh, me say things that don't seem to align, you know, how should um, she uh, respond to that, you know, crazy Alex guy who's always interrupting every meeting and always contradicting something? There's ranges here. I'll talk about the light one and then the deeper one. The uh, light one is really just say, tell the person, take a pause. Tell me what your, this will sound familiar. Tell me what your goals are. Mm. <sighs> Listen, feedback, make sure you got them. And then say, well, here's what my goals are. <sighs> Let's see if we can get these better aligned. Because usually when somebody's doing this, they do have good intentions, as I said. And once you understand what their goals are, you can start to adjust their goals because usually they're missing some of the things that the leadership has in mind. Uh, there's a lot of times that we as leaders haven't been articulate enough about what the pressures are uh, we are under, thus our entire team is under. They're not clear the other objectives we have. So they could be going perfectly in the direction they think is right, but they're not aligned with you. Now, the other part is the most popular chapter in Leading Unleadable is chapter five, which is about how to give feedback that leads to a positive difference. Um, those are the mandatory with the optional being, and you, you don't get yelled at in the process, and they say thank you. Now, those are optional. I, I've done this executed these statements many times and I've had people come back 10 years later to say thank you, but they do come back. <laughs> so, <laughs> and that, in a nutshell, that chapter is, you know, it's really, you're at the point where the person has really upset you as a leader. Uh, you feel like they're really gone over that red line I've talked about where they're very, being very disruptive, et cetera. You really need to set aside time with them to give them feedback that will lead to a positive difference. Now, uh, I can't do the whole chapter here, but I'll, I'll put it in a nutshell. You got to remove judgment and reduce your feedback to under two minutes. You give the feedback. How do you do that if it's a big complex situation, you know, or a big team? And you know. It really almost always comes down to something fairly simple. You know, I, I, I have one where I remember uh, the person, one of my uh, clients was just beside himself because there was one person that was just 
making everybody angry, everybody angry. And he was a really good person. And, uh, you know, he had lots of different stories and examples, but it really came down to that one simple thing. <laughs> and, um, and he wanted to set the person aside and, you know, give them this long list of all the things he did. And, but I said, it's really simple. Just set it down and just remove judgment and, and say, I've noticed, I've got a lot of reports and I've noticed that in most of these meetings you're attending, you seem angry and you seem to make other people around you angry. What's going on for you? Mm. That short, that short. And then the, the, the leader stopped talking and just waited. And then he got an earful about what was going on. And the guy came back angry and the leader said, think about it over the weekend. I suggested strongly that he do this on a Friday afternoon. So the person had time to think about it. The person came back on Monday and said, you're right. And this has been going on for me at home. I got to figure what's going on. And, you know, they really uh, helped the person see the problem himself and helped him get the help he needed. So it's really most complex situations have a core simple part of it. I, I remember working with a team a few years back and there was one person who was always kind of labeled as a troublemaker. Um, but I found out afterwards, uh, I wasn't in very many meetings with this person because but still, I found out afterwards that years before there was a big project that this person was involved with and the project manager and program manager wouldn't listen to his concerns and they got so far down the road, then something bad happened, right? It just, right. things started falling apart and people were starting to blame him. But yet the entire time he was trying to speak up and nobody would listen to him. So since then, every time he'd been in a meeting, he would start to get frustrated and angry with people because they're not listening because they knew if they're not listening, they're going to blame him. Right. It would be ultimately his fault. Yeah. When it wasn't, yeah. but he felt it was going to be, you know, and not listening, which is something you already mentioned caused that problem. Right. So the problems on two sides, <laughs> If you're not being, if 80% of the people aren't listening to you, it's on you. Yeah. If 80% of the people are listening to you and the 20% aren't, that's more on them. <laughs> you still could work a little bit harder, I imagine. So did they resolve that situation? Uh, in the project that I was on, yes, it eventually did. Because um, the program manager that I worked with that came on board, uh, Vince, a um, good friend of mine, he listened and sat down with the guy. He goes, you know, hey, why why are you bringing all, all these things up? You know, what, what's happening? Right. And that's how he found out that years ago, people wouldn't listen to him. He got it. He was kind of blamed for it. But yet he goes, it wasn't fair. You know, why did I get blamed when I was, they just wouldn't listen to me. He goes, I knew what was going to happen. So, you know, after a while, it, when he would speak up in a meeting, uh, Vince would kind of, I don't want to say shut people down, but just, hey, you know, listen to what he has to say and, you know, um, let, let's see 
and it changed the dynamic. People That's started cool. to go to that person to say, hey, you know, I hadn't thought of that before. You know, what about this and that? And it, it changed it. I want you to notice a key there. That leader did the same thing I'm talking about. He didn't have judgment. He asked what was going on. Mm-hmm. And this is where a lot of leaders get in trouble because they're under so much pressure. They have all this taxonomy of trouble they're always dealing with that it would have been easy to go to that person and say, you're being disruptive. Stop it. Yeah. <laughs> go, yeah. to, go to the angry person and say, stop pissing people off. You're making me mad. <laughs> yeah. um, going to the person that's behind schedule and saying, you're killing the entire team, as opposed to you've always made your commitments in the past. I see you're missing right now. I'm worried about you. And, mm-hmm. you know, it really comes from a very different place. So I just want to really encourage people that are really frustrated with your Mavericks, Divas, Cynics, et cetera, take a breath, do a, uh, you know, a meditation, a, a sauna, uh, a hot box, whatever you need to get rid of that judgment and think what what's going on for that person to be that disruptive. Yeah. On that note, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking with Alan Willett today, the author of Leading the Unleadable. And we will be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Fulick. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment, and community for the aftermath emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Not enough women are talking about money. Lisa Chastain is aiming to change that. If you are feeling uncertain with your financial decisions, join us on Real Money, Mondays at 10 a.m. on the Voice America Business Channel, where you will learn how to become more capable with your financial choices. Listen in and hear stories from other women on how they tackled their financial challenges. You will learn from leading industry experts all the tips, tricks, and advice that you need to establish financial confidence and freedom. Listen in Mondays on Real Money with Lisa Chastain. Small businesses are in trouble, and it didn't just start with COVID-19. From the recession several years ago to the revolution of e-commerce giants more recently, Small businesses are getting hit hard and need to come back. Tune in to Business Buzz and Business Watch. It's two shows in one, hosted by Frank Hellring. We'll help your small business bounce back with best practices, guest experts, and resources that you can use to strengthen your small business. Listen Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific and 1 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we're talking with Alan Willett, the author of Leading the Unleadable. Alan, in your book here, there was something I've never read about leaders before. And I definitely wanted to make sure we talked about it today. And you said that um, for a leader to stop whining. I always hear that about employees and others, but never about a leader. So what did you mean a leader stop whining? Alex, haven't you heard leaders whine? I just got to ask you that. (laughs) Haven't I heard what? Leaders whine before. No. Really? Never. Okay. Never come across that. Uh, maybe uh, it's kind of disguised. I think so. Because, because, and also, it could be uh, what I, I get to hear it more because, you know, I'm sort of their priest. <laughs> so, <laughs> I have many clients. Uh, but here's a one I hear in public. Um, they'll talk about the schedule pressure that they are all under. <laughs> and... To me, they're holding it up as a negative as opposed to a positive. Perhaps it's just a slight framing preference I have. I like to talk about how important this is for other people, et cetera. And at the same time, we need to make sure we have a rational plan to back it up. So I make it clear how important it is to other people and why the pressure is so high. And then I talk about how we have to have a rational schedule to back it up. If we don't have a rational plan that we need to renegotiate with whoever to get a more rational plan. So it's two sides. So to me, some of the whining is about that. Uh, To me, uh, whining also is about the quality of the work being done. And again, this can be disguised where they're holding up, just telling people over and over to go fix things as opposed to taking a deep breath and having people go figure out how to prevent the problems in the first place. You know, to me, this gets into a whole, the exceptional leadership again part, which is preventing problems as opposed to constantly reacting. Now also, I actually have heard leaders talking to leaders whining about people. <laughs> Maybe that's why I haven't heard it. <clears throat> it's because those conversations don't become public. They're behind their office doors where they, they do all their whining. I don't know. Yeah, it's like in the teacher's law when they whine about students. <laughs> leader, leader meetings, uh, which I've facilitated a number of, there's a lot more whining that perhaps you haven't heard, <laughs> which is where they whine about the customers, they whine about the, the people they lead, they whine about all the problems they're having. <laughs> and I, a lot of good leaders do that. 
Even exceptional leaders do that on occasion, but they they keep it short. Here, here's the difference for me. Uh, hey, we both live in a northern United States, uh, I mean, North America climate. You're in Canada. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, but I hear people whining about the weather all around me sometimes. And I'm like, it's March or April <laughs> in where we live. You're going to expect some days to be snow, some days to be rain. You dress appropriately. <laughs> and I think um, I did a for weather forecast for leaders before. This year, you're going to have unreasonable demands. You're going to have uh, uh, team members that are being disruptive. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I gave this whole list of things that were going to be happening this year. And I said, you can complain about the weather or you can dress appropriately. Let's gear up together. <laughs> It, it's true. I used to, uh, in, back in my hospitality restaurant days, I used to say uh, uh, working in a restaurant would be a fantastic business if it wasn't for the employees and client and uh, customers. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, on those days where you just want to pull out your hair. <laughs> and, and, you know, that's, a, that's very true on a day-to-day -day basis for the restaurant <laughs> business. It's also true, <laughs> even if you're running, I bet, Tim Cook, you know, at Apple probably complains about the customers and the shareholders when he has his private moments. Yeah. <laughs> so. and, maybe, and maybe that's the, the secret, too, is you you don't make that whining, as it's mentioned in the book, um, public. You know, do that away so that you're you're not undermining people, I guess, right? You know, the key is, uh, this This is something good. I, I, I want to write about this now. Uh, to me, I think leaders have to respect that they do want to whine sometimes. Uh, Alex, do you? I do. <laughs> so, I, I, To a point, it's natural. Yeah. And sometimes we just want to. <laughs> you know, I wanted to go running today and it's snowing. I don't like to run in the snow. <laughs> so... Um, but I think as a leader, it's important to listen to your inner music and you should write down what your wine is about and figure out, is there something different you can do to make the organization better? Is there something your customers are complaining about that you can do different, even though it's like that very small percentage, they might have a key point that's useful. Those employees that are annoying you, they might have some key points that are useful. So I think we should listen to our own internal lines and make something good of it. Yeah, I think so. I want to move on to something you call um, developing radar for trouble. We, we've kind of skimmed across the top of that one, but how do you um, develop that? You know, and I guess uh, it would be, uh, you know, uh, what, what's the expression and uh, like having your ear to the ground or an eye for, trouble or something, some of these other expressions. Is that kind of what you mean? Yes. Uh, here, I'm going to talk about the design of the book for a second because there's a purpose behind the design of the book. What I have found with uh, leaders as they're growing, um, they don't start with prevention work. They start with reaction. <laughs> so part two of the book is really about Part one is just a foundation, lays the mindset for 
exceptional leadership and the mindset for dealing with the taxonomy of trouble, things like that. Uh, part two is about how do you react to all the trouble? Part three is getting into prevention. But this is a pro progression I see leaders go through. It is a lot of times when I have to coach them on how to get feedback to uh, get a positive difference, they're reacting to a situation. After I help them get through that, I start to talk about how they could have prevented that in the first place. <sighs> mm. And that's when leaders really start to grow, is when they start to think about how they set expectations of excellence, et cetera. But one of the things that I did early was talk about the radar for trouble, just to plant the seeds. Because a lot of times you can see these things growing before they become a true issue. Uh, and you noted some of them already, I think. Uh, watch for differences. To me, uh, when people start to behave a little bit differently at work, now there's a lot of that going on, as you mentioned earlier, now that uh, COVID has been so disruptive that it's caused a lot of behavior changes on people, including the leaders. And they really had to be very aware of those things. And I hope they did a lot of listening and a lot of setting of expectations and just getting people to really stay focused on the purpose. But so watch for differences. Uh, you know, a lot of times uh, I mentioned, uh, I alluded to one where a person was really off track on commitments and the leader was so furious with them. And I, I said to them, did they have this problem before? And they paused and said, no, they've always made their deliverables. I said, something's different. Mm -hmm. You should ask. Instead of being mad, you should go ask. This is developing the radar for trouble. Just when you're mad about something, what, what, what happened? What's the difference? So, so that's one of the things. Uh, watch for differences. Uh, number two, I suggest for developing your radar for trouble is dig deeper. Um, you know, a lot of, um, I like data, so I'll talk about data. If you have a, a good schedule, on the surface, it might look like they're perfectly on schedule. I always encourage leaders to dig a little bit deeper and look at the details. Are, are, is a major components on schedule is the part that you thought was risky on schedule? Because sometimes, like the risky part is being ignored, and all the other parts are being perfectly done even done early, everything looks great. <laughs> and the, the iceberg is coming. <laughs> so dig deeper. <laughs> this is developing the radar for trouble. Uh, like, like, the, uh, like a watermelon. I've been on enough projects and programs, you know, you see nothing but green, but when you dig deeper, it's all red. <laughs> yes. You know, Lead with Speed, my other book starts with that, which is one of my uh, managers actually said, I don't want any more watermelon project sailing. And that's exactly <laughs> what he was talking about. <laughs> so uh, that book starts that way. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> so um, <laughs> where was I? Oh, one other. I'll give you one other big tip for developing your radar for trouble. Uh <laughs> Listen to others. You have a blind spot. Uh, always yourself. We always have blind spots. So listen to people outside the team you're leading and go ask them, what do you, what do you see about my team? What do, you, what do you know? What are the things that you see could be coming down the pike that could hurt us? You know, 
look outside, get other viewpoints, and sometimes even hire somebody like me or Alex or somebody to do a like 360 assessment of yourself or your team so you can get that deeper, you know, not just your personal radar, but get the whole system running so you get the pings going out miles in the past and in the future. So that's my radar for trouble. Can that be done um, uh, on a management level too? Like the manager uh, going to uh, her boss and saying, you know, what do you see my team doing? But also going to the side, you know, someone else um, uh, who's on their same hierarchical level and just say, hey, what do you see? You know, and Absolutely. I, I guess that's kind of that three, 360, it, right? Like, it's a, yeah, no matter where you are in the organization, there's – you want to develop a network of trusted sources. <laughs> I don't want to make this sound like, you know, that sound like uh, they're going to narc on you, <laughs> squeal. <laughs> but, but it's really to just, you know, uh, I worked for David Kearns at Xerox once, and he was just a brilliant CEO. But he had great relationships with, even though there was like, to 200,000 people. He had relationships with factory workers on the manufacturing floor, with tech representatives. You know, it wasn't 200,000 people he had relationships. It was a few couple hundred people. He had really good relationships in all parts of the organization. He knew what was going on because he was talking to all of them and listening. <laughs> so is, is that... Now you got me thinking, does that mean if we want to be a leader or we are a leader, depending on where we fall, we should be seen? And the reason I ask that, because you just said how um, uh, Xerox, the, the I, sorry, I forgot his name now. David Kearns. David Kearns, that's right, um, was well-liked by people on the manufacturing floor. You know, So that's kind of telling me, okay, does that mean he was seen? He would walk there and say hello? Because yes. in many organizations... The CEOs, they're in their corner office. You know, they call it mahogany row with all these fancy paintings and everything. And thou shall never go there. Right. You are never allowed to go on that floor or see these people. And, and so, and you know, the leader, should we be seen? David Kearns is an example of the difference between a good manager and an exceptional leader. And exceptional leaders are absolutely seen. Uh, and, you know, I really learned so much from him when I uh, worked in his organization because he really did get around to all the places, had multiple skip level with various people in the organization. You know, one of the, uh, he would hold all hands meetings, which was amazing for the time. You know, he had tele video conferencing stuff that far surpasses ours you know that gets all into xerox fumbling the future but <laughs> you know but but david kearns was there when he actually turned xerox around from a failing company into a successful company it was the ones that came after him that ran it into the ground <laughs> sorry um, but i gotta tell you this he had old hands meetings where he talked about people he talked about process he talked about customers he never talked to, he very rarely talked about profit he always believed if you focus on those three things that it would turn around. And one of the most profound things was uh, he was standing up and somebody raised their hand. He was from the manufacturing line. And David Kearns goes, hello, Frank. He goes, 
Mr. Kearns, <laughs> thanks for remembering me. I just want to tell you, uh, when you talked to me 15 years ago, and I just whined to you about all the things were wrong, you told me that you would fix it. You did. I get teary hearing this, and, you know, it's just everybody just roared approval because it was such a moving moment, the guy from the manufacturing floor. Yeah, just just thanking David Kearns for following through on his word. Interesting stories. I'm going to have to look look him up. I, I know the overall story of Xerox, yeah. where it was, and yeah, uh, he has a great book which isn't in print anymore, but you might be able to find it. Profits in the dark, uh, but it's what it's such a rare CEO book. He talks about all the things that he thought he screwed up. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> How many leaders do that? <laughs> oh my God. I don't think I see any other CEO book like that. He can say saying, you know, I think I did this wrong and I still feel guilty about it. <laughs> Just, oh my God. Wow. Yeah, yeah. You're not supposed to talk like that as a leader, so supposedly. Right. So there's, there's one other point I, I, I want to touch on because uh, our time is slipping away from us here. Sure. Uh, you talk uh, sometimes having to restart. Oh, yes. One of my favorite things. Yeah, so uh, what did you mean by restarting? Um, let me see. What was what was the Minnesota, Minnesota's Fats movie uh, with uh, Paul Newman? Uh, oh. Uh, but it's a pool shark thing. I got to just say this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Paul Newman's kicking. Minnesota fats. He's just wiping him off the table and you can see him, Minnesota. Minnesota takes a break. He, he comes back. He looks like he showered. He combed his hair. He put on a clean suit and he just, just re starts to dominate now. Uh, to me, um, we often find ourselves where we do get behind schedule. We get overwhelmed, etc. Uh, to me, one of the things, survival triggers I've developed for myself, when that happens, I say, oh, I got to stop. I got to take a day or two off and just regroup. And it's really doing a, a solid replan of recheck the purpose. I can go long on this, but I'll try to go short. Recheck your purpose. What are your goals? Long term, I, I, I had a 50-year plan when I was in my 20s. Uh, what, are your, what are your long-term goals? And what is your goal for the next three or four months? What do you got to get done right now? And just, if you have to renegotiate some things, you can renegotiate some things, but it's really just stopping empowering yourself up for the next stage. And I guess part of that is to stop beating yourself up if things are uh, falling behind due to things that you have no control over. Right. My mantra is a difficult one. See reality, accept reality, deal with reality. <laughs> and each of those are hard. Seeing reality can be very difficult. If you are behind, you can look at all the people, you, you know, um, those of us that are exceptional leaders, if you will, always have our fingers in too many pots. <laughs> we're trying to do too many things. And sometimes we're usually doing good juggling, but something, an external event can happen that really disrupts the whole thing. Pause and forgive yourself and assess the situation, regroup, 
and go forth and get them. Well, we've only got three minutes left. Do you have any final thoughts? Take a couple of minutes with any final thoughts on leadership or anything in the book that we um, didn't cover? I'll end with this. Um, one of my favorite chapters is what I call the need for mountains. And that is based on I've uh, hit leadership teams before that were squabbling all the time. And I said, you know, I don't mind the squabbling. What I see happening here is your, your leadership group has lost purpose. In the, in the past, you were fighting, but you were fighting toward a common cause. If you have a mountain climbing team, it doesn't matter if they like each other. They're going to support each other to make sure everybody lives. <laughs> the Shackleton adventure, uh, you know, it was all about bringing everybody back. <laughs> and I'm sure there was squabbles uh, between the Shackleton folks, but they all had a common purpose. So to me, I think as a leader, one of the really things we got to focus on is those differences I talked at the very start as an exceptional leader. I think our job is to do good in the world. And doing good in the world isn't just doing our projects, it's but using our projects to build our own talents, to build the talents of those that we lead, and to make a difference for those that we're doing the work for. So I guess that's my bottom line for today is, let's do good in the world, let's make that the mountain we're all climbing together. Thank you, Alex, I had a great time. Oh, you're welcome, I, I enjoyed it. Like, like I said, during our break, um, I love talking about uh, leadership and reading about it and things like that and comparing it to things why I fell flat on my face you know, a couple of times. You know, like, oh, well, so that's why I screwed up that time. <laughs> you know, I did what I shouldn't have done. So I, I really enjoy chatting about that kind of stuff. And congratulations once again on the book, leading the, leading the Unleadable. Um, there's lots of uh, interesting information in here. I hope everybody takes a, a gander at it at some point. Alex, it's been a great time. Thank you. Thank you for sharing your time and expertise and everybody watching and listening. Stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.